Matthew Odom is the longtime Austin American statesman, restaurant critic, and reporter. He just released his latest Austin Restaurant Dining Guide, the 2023 Restaurant Guide. Looks at the 20 best new restaurants in Austin. You can find that at austin360.com slash dining guide, as well as a write-up on the three Austin restaurants who found their way into the Austin 360 Hall of Fame. That includes Uchi, Joe's, and Magnolia Cafe. Give him a follow on social media at Matthew Odom on Instagram and simply Odom on Twitter. That's O-D-A-M. Matthew, always a pleasure. How you doing today, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's good to catch up with you. Yes, it is always a pleasure. And uh, you did something a little bit different for this year's dining guide, whereas in years past, uh, it would be a comprehensive list of places new and old. You chose to focus on newer places with this this year's diner's guide. Why did y'all make that decision? You know, I was thinking, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, it's good for business for folks, but people kind of have their minds made up oftentimes about you know, I've been to Daidue or I've been to Emmer and Rye or I, I know what I think about Vespaio. And I think people kind of have calcified opinions about one place or another. And I, I intend to return to those kind of bigger lists at some point. But I think people always want to know, like, what's new? What's interesting? What's kind of defining this year in Austin dining? And so I thought this year we did it once during the pandemic and uh, people loved it. And so I thought we'd we'd try it this year. Uh, a lot of interesting places have been opening up, kind of often smaller places, not super, you know, not not big um, companies, not super well funded, not massive marketing budgets or, you know, $3 million build outs at restaurants. Um, though there are a few of those. Um, and so I thought just kind of this hodgepodge of smaller places and kind of alternative uh, service styles kind of fit the era right now. And so I thought it'd be fun to focus on those this year. I'm not going to Sophie's Choice you and have you pick out your favorite of these 20 new places this year. What I'll do instead, I guess, is make the embarrassing admission that while there are some places on my list of spots that I want to try, I've been to any of these places so far. And so uh, we're going to start selfishly for me with some of the spots that uh, that I've had my eye on for a while now and just have not made the effort to get to. Unfortunately, with a family of four, we are creatures of habit. So there are places, even though we're out in Cedar Park, places we go in Austin, but it's like we go to the same places over and over again, whether it's Bufalina Douay on, uh, on Burnett's. Or we will uh, go down to Fresas or someplace like that. Uh, we haven't made the effort to go to some of these other spots, but that's going to change in 2024, damn it, based on this conversation. So let's start <laughs> with uh, a spot that is uh, number one on my list in terms of where I want to go. This is going to be a date night spot. And I, not taking the kids there for the very first time, but I am a big sucker for Mediterranean food, for Middle Eastern food. Therefore, Ease Off is a spot that I really want to try out. Uh, why do you think Ease Off is one of the uh, best new restaurants in Austin? You know, it's a, it's this exciting um, mixture of flavors. It's a laid back atmosphere. Um, Chef Bertie Richter is from Israel, and he wanted to focus on the Galilee region of that country, which kind of has a mixture of dif different ethnicities and um, religious groups and cultures and cuisines. And um, it, it's just exciting food. Whether it's the the shawarma, there's a chicken dish that's great on there um, that's kind of stacked and spit fired. Uh, the lamb dish um, is great. But the the interesting thing is, you know, I've got a story coming out on Tuesday 
or excuse me, what is today? <laughs> Monday? Is today Tuesday? Thanks. I've got a story coming out on Wednesday <laughs> of my 10 favorite dishes from new restaurants this year. And uh, I selected one from Izov, and it was actually um, their smashed cucumber dish, which has um, some pickling uh, spices on it. Um, and it's got these nigella seeds and it's served on a really, really smooth labna. And so, and, and scattered with some dill and some fresh herbs. So anytime you can serve uh, a dish as simple seemingly as cucumbers and it be one of the 10 best dishes at a new restaurant in town, you know, you're doing something right. So uh, it's kind of one of those dishes where, you know, people go say, Hey, have you been to Izov or, uh, hey, I'm going to Izov, and it's one of the first dishes that that always pops up. So anytime a, a restaurant has a dish that is that much of a hallmark, uh, you know that's a good thing, even if it's just cucumbers. So it, it's it's a fun space. I like to go. Actually, I've been a few times. My my favorite time was going and sitting at the bar by myself. It's in the old Pitchfork Pretty space. There's kind of some graffiti on the wall. I don't know if it's supposed to kind of reference like the Tel Aviv nightlife and late di- late night dining scene. But it's really casual, um, kind of a scruffy spot. But it's, it's one of those places that's really fun to pull up to at the bar. Maybe go find a corner seat with you, you and your wife and, and sit at the bar instead of a table and kind of get immersed in the energy a little bit more there. Am I remembering correctly that it's the uh, group that's responsible for Immer and Rye that is doing Ease Off too? That's right. So they they did uh, Immer and Rye and then they did Hestia, which is their fine dining yeah. concept, live fire downtown. And then they opened up. Kanji, which is um, from Chef Tavel Joseph Bristol, uh, Bristol Joseph, excuse me, um, who's from Guyana. And so now this is from Birdie. And so kind of each of their partners is getting their own kind of cuisine and culture represented um, through their restaurants. So uh, definitely one of the most successful restaurant groups in Austin. And they've also opened up some concepts in San Antonio as well. So they've kind of broadened their purview. Kanji and Birdie, two places that we tried for the first time this year and absolutely love them. Kanji is probably my favorite place to take out of Towners right now just because it's uh, something so unique for what you can typically get in this city. Now, another spot on the 20 best new places in Austin list that you came out with in the uh, Statesman and Austin360.com back in early November. Uh, shouldn't surprise anybody that it is on this list. After all, it does come from Aaron Franklin. Spoke with Aaron about his most recent book, Smoke, uh, a little bit more than a month ago. And he obviously had great things to say about Uptown Sports Club. But Aaron Franklin has evolved in something food-wise that's going to be good. Franklin Barbecue, Loro, and now Uptown Sports Club. What makes Uptown Sports Club so special? You know, a couple different things. There's one, there's the the aesthetic and the vibe. And they, they've taken this old you know, bar that was on, you know, everybody in Austin that's been here for more than five years is familiar with it. It's that corner entry bar with the pennant signing that's been around for 70 years. I think it was a butcher shop at one point. It was a an East Austin bar for a long time that was big in the Mexican-American community. And it had fallen into disrepair and was shuttered for, I mean, almost a decade. I think at one point, if you remember like five or 10 years ago, a group of rascals uh printed some Chili's east banners and put them up over there trying to trick people into thinking that the gentrification had come for east 6th street in the form of a Chili's. um <laughs> but they've they've teamed up with michael shoe architecture and tanaya hills uh, from bunkhouse to redesign this place and give it a feel of new orleans with uh, a back patio with these wrought iron bars with 
uh, greenery growing on it. It's the they've got this tile floor and some original pressed tin ceiling uh, roof, and the bar has been fully refurbished. They basically emptied the place out and and went from scratch. They've got the old bars on the windows there. It's just got such a vintage historic look to it, but it, it's new, but it feels like it's been around for 80 years. And it kind of has one of those New Orleans feelings where you could just kind of wander in and have a drink and maybe a shrimp cocktail. Next thing you know, you're eating a po' boy and hanging out for a couple hours and you've put a base down and you think, oh, maybe it's time to move on to whiskey. And then you realize the burger comes on the menu at 4 p.m. and oh, there's a bar steak and hey, let's let's get a bottle of champagne. You know, it's just kind of one of those, let's just hang out. It's one of those places that makes me wish I didn't have a, a family or, or a mortgage payment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, or, or that I lived in one of those condos over there in East Austin. Um, Aaron had family from Louisiana, so he used to eat a lot of gumbo and that kind of food growing up. And uh, he calls his gumbo his liquid brisket. So he's tinkered with it for a long time. He's it's always been a passion project of his. So I think when they opened, it might have been, you know, confusing to some people that that would be his next move. But Louisiana food has always kind of been in his bones. The shrimp po' boy there is probably the best I've had anywhere in the city. So it's got a roast beef po' boy, which is made with drippings from Franklin barbecue brisket. Then you've got like a, a crab Louie. You've got oysters. So there's homages to kind of San Francisco dining as well. Aaron just says it's all the food that he likes to eat. And so that's a pretty good starting point. If I'm remembering correctly, he also said one of the reasons why I love that spot is because he envisioned that uh, that walk up window as being a gumbo win- window where people could literally walk up. And I don't know if they've actually incorporated this just yet, but people could just walk up and get a bowl of that gumbo or a cup of that gumbo to go. I don't know that they've done that yet, but that sounds like a uh, pretty smart idea. Moving on now to a place, just got some love from Esquire, one of their best uh, new restaurants in America. That would be Este. This town obviously does Mexican really well, whether you're talking Tex-Mex or interior Mexican. If there's maybe some room for growth, it is uh, Mexican seafood. Wife and I went and took a trip to uh, to Cabo uh, early this year and uh, absolutely fell in love with the cuisine on the peninsula. I don't know if this is Baja Peninsula uh, Mexican seafood, but uh, it is still obviously getting a lot of love. What do you love about Este? You know, Este, obviously from the owner of Suerte, uh, Sam Hellman Moss, who was one of the original partners in, in Odd Duck and I believe Barley Swine, and his chef, Fermin Nunez, who's now kind of, you know, I'd say right now he's maybe the face of of uh, Austin Dining um, in terms of his national attention and just kind of the way he presents on social media and his personality. He has a Sunday get-together at his house uh, with a bunch of chefs and people in the community. So he's done a really good job of fostering community. He kind of came up under Rene Ortiz, who owns Laundrette and had La Condesa and Sway. So Fermin had worked for for Rene before, and Rene, of course, one of the the best and almost underrated at this point chefs in the city. And so this uh, Este kind of goes all around Mexico to the different coastal regions for dishes. It's a it's a really beautiful restaurant, but you know, it's a lot of fun. So it's kind of painted in these muted natural tones of of sand and sea. It's kind of, you know, austere and kind of its uh, casual elegance almost. It's built into the old east side cafe space over there on Manor Road. And they've revamped the gardens over there and pumped them up. A uh, huge garden project over there now. So they source a lot of their own vegetables. But the seafood, you know, my favorite part of the seafood is 
is the raw bar preparations, the ceviches, the tostadas. Of course, they you know make their own masa and house, uh, nishtamalize their own corn, and um, the clams preparados. The you know you can get oysters with a little bit of I think there was tuna belly on them one time, and maybe a, a little bit of roe. So fantastic raw dishes. Then also really great cooked dishes. They had a turbo that had this kind of buttery anchovy sauce on it that was super rich. So you go from kind of light stuff to really robust flavors. They've got a, a butterflied shrimp dish served shell on that's uh, in this chili butter, this castaño chili butter that's just the messiest and best seafood dish in town. So it looks like they've uh, hit another home run between Este and Suerte. Those are probably you know two of the three or four best Mexican and seafood restaurants in town. You just made my mouth water with some of those descriptions. That's actually been happening all conversation now. <laughs> uh, like many people, I am a sucker for a good, good fusion concept, which is why uh, I have been uh, drawn. My eyes and my mind have been drawn to Ramen del Barrio, even if my palate hasn't actually been there just yet. Seems like uh, an automatic winner, uh, combining the uh, the wonderfulness of uh, fresh made ramen with uh, some of those Mexican spices and cooking methods. And uh, I guess based on this list, Ramen Del Barrio has nailed that process. Yeah, they have. Uh, the chef there is f- fusing Mexican and Japanese cuisine, just like Aaron calls uh, gumbo his liquid brisket. Christopher calls um, his carnitas um, ramen his, his liquid carnitas, and, and it delivers on those big flavors. They also do these... Um, grilled skewered meats and octopus and pork belly and serve those in tacos so the skewers are just as good as the ramen you can wait a little bit there sometimes people need to remember it's just a uh, it's just a food court stall in the hana world market there up um, off palmer lane and they've gotten a lot of attention in recent months so you might have to wait a little bit longer uh, than you expect sometimes but your patience is rewarded with some some big bold flavors out of that place and it's kind of one of those places you know, just like um, P Thai Cow Guy, which is also in Hong Kong supermarket uh, in North Austin off Research Boulevard. There's several places on this list that you're just going to find that aren't traditional restaurants uh, the way we've thought of them in the past. And I think a lot of that is an effect of coming out of COVID, people wanting to work for themselves, people scratching together just enough money, you know, to pay rent at a place like that, as opposed to putting together a restaurant group. Uh, and a big business plan that requires, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of funding. So that's also one of the great things about that spot is that it's indicative of kind of some of this shoe leather operations that have been going on in, in recent years as a fallout of the pandemic. Yeah, generally speaking, and look, uh, you, you give credit to people for uh, for making do with what they have in front of them. But one enjoyable aspect of loving food is finding those places that are really unassuming. They're not necessarily necessarily in a spot where you would assume a a great food place would be, but then you go in there and you can just uh, tell by the smell, much less when you actually uh, when you actually taste what's going on, just how good it is, and uh, just another great example of never judging a book by its cover, I guess. Yeah, there's you know Wee's Cozy Kitchen, which is over there by campus. The woman there, uh, Wee Fong Ellers, she's been working at UT in some capacity, I think, for about twenty years, cooking and in various dorms and for students. And she was kind of running a, uh, I think she works at the Castilian now. She's Malaysian and she was cooking kind of Chinese, Chinese American dishes that you'd be expecting along with like uh, bar food, like burgers and wings out of this gas station restaurant in the back of a gas station at like 24th and I think San Jacinto. 
and she put a special on her menu uh, earlier in the year of some classic Malaysian dishes like beef rendang, and they were a huge hit. And now, you know, people wait in line, in, whether it's in line or they're just waiting for her to cook, because usually it's her and one other person back there. Uh, so you might wait 30 minutes or an hour for a dish, depending on when you get there. Um, and she's now got this excellent Malaysian restaurant, as it were, in the back of this Shell gas station. And hopefully she'll get some funding. And, you know, she joked that, you know, she likes the security and the and the, the safety and the, of her of her job at UT. But I think uh, her success is probably going to almost force her hand to open up a restaurant because, uh the cooking is that good and you don't find a lot of Malaysian a lot of Malaysian cuisine in Austin. No, you don't. I was completely unfamiliar with that spot. And I've heard the name Underdog and I've had some people tell me it's really good, but I know nothing about that. So what's to know about Underdog and why it made this year's list? You know, I, I kind of joke when I wrote about Underdog that maybe I was a little bit you know, it's hard not to get pessimistic after you've been around this game for a while and you know, you hear you might know something about that. You hear uh you know, chefs from Los Angeles are moving to Austin and they're going to open a wine shop slash restaurant and it's going to be in some slick apartment building or condo building in South Austin and they're going to have Korean fried chicken and it just kind of starts to sound like a, a new Austin Mad Lib. Um, <laughs> and so I was skeptical and I went and it was really great. The The space is modern, but it it's colored in these kind of um, natural tones of green and brown that kind of bring the outdoors in and it's wrapped in glass. It almost feels like kind of a corner spot in an old, you know, village restaurant in New York City, even though, you know, it's super modern. It just kind of has that inviting hang a while, walk in off the street kind of thing going on. And so, yeah, the, the owners there are um, serving Korean inspired dishes like fried chicken and there's a crispy rice dish that's layered with crab and, and roe. Uh, that's really good as well. They also serve a shrimp burger and they serve a bulgogi uh, flavored beef burger. Those are both great. They get that because um, the co-owner, Claudia Lee, her mother is Korean and kind of came in and, and helped them tweak some some recipes. Her co-owner is her husband. I don't know if they're married yet or if they're just um, fiancés, but his name is Richard Hargrave and he's worked uh, in the Momofuku Empire in the past in the wine department. So they've got some fun natural wines they're moving kind of a little bit to, towards a, a bigger french selection and doing some different stuff on both the food and wine menu here moving into the new year so i'll be interested to go back and, and see what they have up their sleeves so i'm a sucker for your writing about food matthew for a number of reasons one you know your stuff that's uh, very obvious from uh, people getting to listen to you right now but two you infuse this level of wit with which you cover uh, these restaurants. And I think uh, my favorite example of that from this year's uh, dining guide, 20 best new restaurants in Austin is the first paragraph in your write-up of holiday on seventh. And I'm just going to read it verbatim. I take it from the name of this hybrid bar restaurant that the idea is to transport you on a holiday. It's Greece meets Tatooine meets Marfa aesthetic combined with the romantic notion of transforming an old gas station into a two hour vacation destination alone accomplish that mission. The menus only add to the spirit. Very well done there. And uh, what do you mean by Greece meets Tatooine meets Marfa aesthetic combined with the romantic notion of transforming an old gas station into a two hour vacation destination alone accomplish that mission? That was all just chat GPT, actually. Um, 
I just got lucky. Uh, the uh, I appreciate the compliment. You know, the kind of the whitewashed walls and the, the curved architecture when you go inside kind of reminds you of Greece. There's some really cool landscaping, kind of minimalist landscaping that has a Marfa kind of high desert vibe to it. And the Tatooine thing is it's kind of um, almost kind of a blend of that that Grecian feel. And there's a big outdoor area in the front and the back. You kind of walk in. It's kind of like an elegant version of uh, whatever that bar is in, in Star Wars, except you're not seeing people like drinking out of their noses. You're seeing, you know, a bunch of a bunch of hipsters and industry folks and East Austinites drinking uh, really elegant cocktails from the co-owner there, Aaron. She used to be the beverage director at Olame. She makes a lot of great martinis and, you know, holidays mean different things to different people. Maybe it means kind of a, a fruity drink that you'd have by a pool somewhere in the Caribbean. Maybe it means, uh, you know, a big boozy pull up to the bar by yourself and drink some whiskey and eat some sloppy pork ribs. You know, to me, a vacation always means Italy and Peter Klein, the chef there, uh, the executive chef at Holiday, worked at Loca de Oro and at Olame. So he's got pasta down pat he only has usually i think just one pasta dish on the menu but it's kind of one of those sure things that you can just go in order the only pasta dish on the menu have them pair it with a glass of wine and you're going to be in good hands not to distract from uh, the conversation at hand but bufalina does a really good job of that too they usually have one or two pastas on the menu and they they always knock them out of the park they do they're they always have a great pasta at dinner i know gray nonis had been working with them for a while when they reopened on East Cesar Chavez. And mm. judging by his Instagram, he might have something up his sleeve. Uh, the co-founder of Olame back in the day uh, knows his way around pasta, certainly. He had opened a pop-up called Lake Cowboy at the space adjacent to Este a couple years ago. And he posted a picture on Instagram the other day of himself holding a set of keys. Mm. So I think that was a tantalizing tease to uh, a potential pasta or Italian restaurant in the works for the next year. You know, I think if, if I could just have one restaurant exist in this town, it would be a place that just always has five pastas on the menu. They could change daily and then maybe a salad and like two seasonal small plates and, you know, a half dozen bottles of wine. And that would hit me right in my sweet spot. Birdie. It's not an exact version of that. They kind of do a version of that though. Don't they? It's not, it's not too different from what, from what Birdie's doing for sure. I'd I'd love if Birdie's uh, had had three or four pasta dishes on their menu, but I know that they work with a with a small space and a small staff, and they try and streamline things, and so uh, that's completely understandable. There was a place called Il Corvo in Seattle that was around for years. It was kind of like the Franklin Barbecue of pasta of the of the Northwest, and it closed I think a couple years ago. I don't know if it was a pandemic closure or what, but uh, that was exactly exactly in my wheelhouse. So, you know. Some things I'm just a sucker for. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm I'm a sucker for a good handmade pasta for sure. Now, as part of uh, this year's restaurant guide, you did put three more iconic Central Texas institutions into that Austin 360 Restaurant Hall of Fame. Uchi, Joe's Bakery and Coffee Shop, and Magnolia Cafe are now Hall of Fame members. Let's start with Uchi. Obviously, a lot of people are familiar with Uchiko at this point. But Uchi is the OG. So why does uh, Uchi finally make it in, Matthew? Well, Uchi made it. This was the first year that Uchi was eligible for entrance. You have to have been open for 20 years to be included. 
they're just my rules. I just created this Hall of Fame about three years ago, I think. So Uchi turned 20 earlier this year, I think in March. You know, right there on South Lamar. Uchi just changed dining in Austin, period. Um, changed fine dining, changed what you could expect of service, what you could expect of flavors, um, what you could expect of execution and ambiance. Tyson Cole was living in Austin and was actually working as an assistant manager at a grocery store where Loro is now. And his grocery store, I can't remember the name of it. It got purchased by Randall's, I believe. And they offered him half as much money for, I think, a lesser position. So he quit. The way he tells it, he was looking for a job. His girl, he was living with a girl. I told him, you better get a job or you're going to, you know, need to get out of this apartment and this relationship. So he was walking around downtown Austin one day, going into every place he could to try and find a job. Was, wasn't having any luck. Tried to go to the elephant room and it was locked. So he turned around to leave and then saw that there was a staircase leading up from elephant room. It wasn't labeled. He didn't know what it was, but he thought he'd go up there, open the door. And it was Kyoto as longtime Austinites will remember. And, um, asked them for a job and they called him later that day and said, can you work night and day shifts? And he said, yep. And that changed the course of Austin dining history and just a, a bit of curiosity and desperation and a uh, edict from a, a girlfriend you know, he didn't grow up some kind of Japanophile um, or sushi lover. He was actually a visual artist, which, you know, I've heard that story from a lot of chefs. And that's an expensive, expensive art to get into um, or career to try and create. So he didn't have any familiarity with it. And he started working there, immediately fell in love with the people and the culture and the customs and the cuisine. Ended up working for Smoke A Fuse at um, Musashino, of course, on Mopac. Uh, where he worked for several years and uh, Smokey became his sensei. And he decided he wanted to open a restaurant that the whole restaurant felt like you were dining at the sushi bar in terms of the attention to detail and the service. And he and his um, partner at the time, Daryl Koenig, opened up Uchi. He immediately started working with the talent that he brought in, whether it was Paul Key or Philip Spear, to create these dishes with exciting flavors that you weren't used to seeing on a sushi plate. So whether it's uh, the Magura with goat cheese and apple, whether it's candied quinoa on top of a piece of uh, fluke, just various textures and flavors uh, that people weren't really trying with sushi at the time and for these cold tastings that he would do. And then he started getting, um, I think he became a food and wine best new chef very early on, which really changed everything in terms of his access to ingredients and quality but he really established kind of a way of doing business from the kitchen to the front of house that was very systematic and, and very regimented. And that's how they kind of reached this level of exceptional execution from the kitchen to the front of house and somehow were able to replicate it. And in such a way that I wrote, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, a story about 25 different chefs who have come through Uchi, who now own or run their own restaurants um, across the country. So to have 25 alumni come through your kitchen and end up running their own place lets you know that people learn not only how to cook there, but they learn how to run kitchens there. They learn how to give hospitality there. So really, you can't overstate the influence that that Uchi and Tyson Cole and Daryl Kunick and, and his vision to you know, kind of put the money up for Tyson at the beginning of this thing 
led to, you know, the Austin dining scene as we know it and has affected, you know, dining really across the country. It's like a Nick Saban coaching tree there. And, that, and the <laughs> visual art background makes sense because so many dishes that come out of the kitchen at Uchi and Ujiko look like freaking works of art. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, he's like, after a while, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's costs a lot of money to pay for paints and pay for canvases and who's going to pay you to do it. And he said the thing that he loved the most is that he loved the reaction that he'd get from people when he'd hand them a piece of sushi and that his search at Uchi has always been for the perfect bite and creating the perfect bite for the guests, seeing their expression when he handed it to them. And that was kind of the, the idea that he wanted to try and multiply throughout the dining room and create the sushi bar experience, you know, for 120 people at a time. Joe's Bakery and Coffee Shop is someplace that pretty much everybody has been to at this point as well. Why Why do they make the list or why do they make the Hall of Fame, Matthew? I definitely wanted to include um, a East Austin institution like Joe's. Joe Avia doesn't patrol the restaurant anymore. He's been passed for a while, but his granddaughter and one of his daughters do still. So it's still in the family and it's just an institution of the community. Um, they're big into um, supporting voter registration, but more than anything, it just feels like you're dining in your grandmother's house. And part of that is because, you know, for Regina Estrada, who runs the place with her mother, Rose, now it, it really was her grandmother's house. If she wanted to see her grandmother when she was growing up, they'd have to go to the restaurant, uh, which opened in 1962, and she'd spend her days there. All of the kids and grandkids grew up through that restaurant over there on on East 7th Street. And it started out as a, as a bakery and a taqueria. Joe had owned a, a bakery before that, El Oriental, uh, nearby, and then changed, uh, changed the name to Joe's. And so it started as kind of a humble taqueria and bakery, and his wife was actually working, I think, at H-E-B over there on um, Burnett. And when she came over and joined the kitchen, that's when things really stepped up and you started getting some more home-cooked dishes and your carne guisada which uh, which they make with pork. It's excellent. The breakfast dish is there, obviously great. So it's just, it, it, it's, it's simple and direct and straightforward and delicious and family run and a big staple of the community. I'm not alone when saying that I think I've eaten a meal at Magnolia Cafe at pretty much every hour of the day, including uh, <laughs> late night meals that were heavily influenced by alcohol and a long night on 6th Street. Uh, but I guess it's time that uh, Magnolia Cafe gets its due, considering how many bellies it's fill filled over the decades. That's right. It's been around now on South Congress for 35 years. Um, the one on Lake Austin Boulevard, Kent Cole, opened as Omletree West uh, with Ken Carpenter, the open of Omletree, and was running it with his wife briefly, his first wife. And they eventually opened over on South Congress in 1988. Kent is a great dude. He was born in Austin, kind of raised in Louisiana, came back here right after high school. He's kind of a an old Austin art freak at heart. He lived in the Montrose area for several years, uh, playing in a band in Houston. And so you can definitely, like when you kind of get that kitschy art freak vibe from Magnolia, I think a lot of that comes from his time in, in Houston as well, in the Montrose area. It's interesting, Kent said that, you know, if it wasn't for his divorce from from his first wife, who who went on to um, marry a man that they opened Kirby Lane. So I don't know if everybody knows that that uh, that the the husband and wife that were running uh, Magnolia over on Lake Austin, his wife left. 
married the man that they started Kirby Lane with. And so uh, it's all good. There's no uh, discord from uh, all, all appearances. It doesn't, but, uh, it doesn't have the Dan's friends animosity to it, huh? Well, I mean, I think I don't even think that that had any animosity. I think I think oh, okay. I think it's a. I think a community just likes to tell itself stories. And when there's a, <laughs> when there's a vacuum of information, people fill in details for whatever's the most, the most interesting. Um, so, but so are you said, telling me that the guy who made the uh, I-35 split didn't end up offing himself after the fact because he realized how <laughs> terrible a design it was? I, I don't think, I, I pray that that's not true. And I, I assume that it's apoc apocryphal. Um, the, uh, God, that's terrible. The, uh, the split. And so Kent, after his divorce, he said he was kind of left to, he didn't know what to do. He didn't really know, like his whole life was kind of wrapped up in, in this relationship and he didn't really know how to relate to people. And he just realized at that time, I need to start asking questions if I'm going to kind of rebuild my understanding of the world, my social scene and whatever else it is. And and so he started asking questions and that that interest in people and that interest in community and that curiosity about people has really always informed Magnolia. If you remember, you go over to the old one on Lake Austin Boulevard and there'd be a piece of paper and it says, like, take a piece of paper and you'd fill out a questionnaire and it might say, like, if your life was a movie, what would who would be the actor? What would be the, you know, and it's kind of these random, you know, topic based questionnaires that were kind of conversation starters. And you'd write down answers and then you go put it in the box at the end of your meal. And so when you'd sit down for a meal, it would say, you know, grab an empty sheet and grab a filled out sheet and then you'd read other people's answers. And so they were kind of conversation starters with your friends or just to amuse you if you're eating there by yourself at three in the morning or whatever. And I think those, those questionnaires are kind of indicative of Kent Cole's spirit of um, community and, and curiosity. And I think that's always informed uh, Magnolia even to this day. And, you know, it, a funny story he told me about the one on South Congress, the first few years, they were not making any money. Things were really bad. And his original investor in that second location actually bailed. And so Kent got it. Uh, and now it's, you know, owns a lot of <laughs> very nice property in South Austin. Uh, so he stuck with it. And, you know, the late eighties and early nineties, it was just drug dealers and prostitutes and cops. And, um, but they, you know, they'd get some family business and, and Kent realized, uh, you know, people were doing drug deals on the payphone in the back by the bathrooms. And so he he, he didn't want to run them off because uh, they were his customers, but he, he couldn't have it going on with kids in the restaurant. So he moved the payphone out kind of into the little courtyard, you know, breezeway between the restaurant and the and the sidewalk. So that's why the, the payphone at Magnolia for decades was just sitting out there in front of the restaurant was just to get the, uh, the business of the day out of the restaurant. But um, it's always been home to a lot of... Uh, you know, artsy folks. I used to go there when I was, you know, in my teens and twenties and think that I would never be cool enough to like, even I wasn't even cool enough to eat in there. Like the servers were like too, too, too cool for me. Um, but of course, as you get older, you realize everybody was kind of a family and part of a community there. And it's, it's really one of those uniquely Austin places. All right. Last food question. Now, before we talk a little bit of sports, Matthew, uh, what do you think the the next big food trend is in 2024? Oh. People make all sorts of predictions about these things. And Austin has found itself on the forefront of a lot of this because it's become such a good food city over the last 20 to 30 years. We've really become a great town for, for Asian food, uh, South Asian food, especially Indian food up in Williamson County and in Northern Austin. And there's a lot of a lot of great Chinese food and, and 
um, Vietnamese food and Thai food up there. And I think we're going to find, I don't think people are looking for necessarily a modernization of that cuisine, but I think people are looking to branch out more. And um, I think we're seeing more, you said you live in Cedar Park. I think we're seeing more parts of town get more and more options as traffic gets worse and worse, especially now as the pandemic has kind of receded. So I think neighborhood restaurants and, you know, um, cuisine from outside of the United States, especially Asia, is going to continue to proliferate. I think the service model is is something that's going to be even a bigger factor. You know, you mentioned Birdie's earlier. They're a counter service restaurant. Um, All Day Pizza is on my list of best new restaurants, and I think they're making the best New York style pizza in the city right now. And they serve out of a window at Flo's Wine Bar and Bottle Shop. Um, on 35th Street, just at the northern edge of Terrytown there. I mentioned the guys that were working different food stalls in the Asian food markets in town. I mentioned we operating out of the back of a Shell gas station. I think you're going to find people looking for more Spartan operations and looking for a way to bring their food to folks. And so I think the vibey restaurants are always going to be a part of Austin, especially because it's such a bachelor and bachelorette party town and you know, 40th and 30th birthday party town. But I think for locals, I think we're going to find more exciting stuff on the low end, at least, you know, economically. You know, I think people are getting tired of paying, you know, $200 for a dinner for two and not remembering anything that they ate the next day. And so I think some of the more exciting stuff is going to is going to happen on the low end. And I, I assume we'll continue to see Austin businesses franchise outside of of the city. Um We've become a good incubator for for concepts, that whether it's a Torchies or a P. Terry's. And these are, you know, P. Terry's still independently owned, but opening in different towns uh, around the state and eventually outside of the state, probably. So I think we'll continue to see uh, Austin brands proliferate outside of the city. But I'm most excited about what's happening kind of on the casual end of the spectrum. And I think we're also going to see the opposite end, you know, with these omakases and kind of high end intimate experiences. You know, I think we're going to see maybe even club type dining where you have membership, um, real private high end stuff. There's an embarrassing amount of money in this town. I joked the other day that I was at a gas station on South Lamar where, you know, 20 years ago, I used to get offered speakers out of the back of somebody's car while I was pumping gas. And the other day, the guy asked me while I was pumping gas, hey, do you need a swimming pool built? And I was like, what? Uh, no, I don't need a swimming pool built. Um but I do need an affordable meal. So I think, you know, you're going to see places that, you know, seat 12 people and cost $350 and you're going to see places that cost, you know, $17 and that you're going to be eating maybe in in a place that you don't expect. So uh, I'd encourage people's curiosity and, uh, and their ability to, to get out of the, of the norm and kind of look around. Very well said there. All right. A couple sports questions, Matthew, first off, uh Astros and Rangers had a very exciting ALCS I know you weren't crazy about it because your team did not come out on top but uh, it's good why are, you doing, why are you doing this to me it's good for <laughs> baseball hey you guys have your two world series now we as the Rangers just got our very first but it's good for baseball if both these teams are good and able to battle it out uh just because what that what that rivalry means for both franchises and fan bases but to, to get to meet in October is awesome and it's something that had never happened before um, so for you as an Astros fan, 
You guys have won a couple of World Series at this point. It seems like you're going to remain uh, very relevant for years to come. What do you want to see your team do this offseason to address whatever needs need to, be, need to be met to ensure that you make it back to another World Series next October? I want to I wanna re-sign Tucker and Bregman and Altuve and have them all defer their salaries like Shohei Otani did. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I was I was happy – for you and Mike Reiner and maybe like three other people that the Rangers won the world series. Um, <laughs> but generally not, I was actually at, at game seven of the ALCS. And Ooh. I mean, I, I, we literally hadn't sat down before the game was ostensibly over. Um, so that was terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the first time that the Dallas and Houston teams have been both good um, at the same time, maybe since like the 88 playoffs, I think the Rockets and the Mavericks, um, you know, the Cowboys and the Oilers were never competitive against each other, and the Mavericks and the Rockets never seemed to be good at the same time, and ditto the Astros and the Rangers. So it is good to have the sports hate and the antipathy. Um, those towns obviously hate each other, um, so that's great. You know, I, I wish Jim Crane would spend more money. I think the Astros are like 13th in payroll in baseball um, at most, and I want us to spend more money. I don't want to be – kind of the glorified rays. Uh, I trust our new GM, but you know, I don't, I don't want to pay Alex Bregman for seven or eight years until he's 37 or 38 years old. I'd like to go get an ace. Uh, I, I think we've realized that you can't rely on, you know, health necessarily, but at the same time, you know, somehow we made it to the AL. We were one game away from the world series yet again, and we were missing 60% of our starting rotation almost the entire year and we were missing Altuve and um, 2024 AL MVP Jordan Alvarez for, for a good part of the year. And we were still competitive. So I don't think there's too much we need to do. Um, I'll be happy to see um, Maldonado not come back. I appreciate his service, but it's time to move on with Yanier. Uh, but I think pay, pay, paying Tucker and finding an ace are probably the two biggest things we need to focus on uh, for the next year or so. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried Tucker will be gone as well. So, you know, I hate to complain about it because we've been to six straight ALCS or whatever it is at this point. So obviously the guys seem to know what they're doing. So you, you can't, you can't cry too hard once you have two rings. Yeah, no doubt about that. And last thing, Matthew, the Longhorns and Huskies are going to meet in the college football Playoff semifinal in New Orleans on New Year's night. Do you have a prediction for that game? 37-28 Longhorns. And uh, I'd put a little money on the Longhorns to win the national championship. I think the last time I had a cigarette was the Longhorns-Alabama national championship game, what, 14 years ago. Uh, and I won't have another cigarette uh, this time, but I, I do feel like it'll be an intense, fun, memorable exciting night I, I i'd like a alabama texas rematch no, it'll be fun to start an sec rivalry on that foot do you have any food opinions on new orleans for any austinite slash longhorn oh. fans who are heading there for that game oh i've got a lot of i've got a lot of new orleans food opinions more than i can rattle off right now but uh you know check out pesh get out of the city go to r and o's if you want the best roast beef po'boy in town you got to get out of the city uh, and go towards the levees and get an get a R and O. And if you want the best gumbo in town, you go to Louise's by the track. Outside of outside of downtown area as well. 
so that's your gumbo. That's your gumbo and po' boy take. Love it. Well, uh, he is Matthew Odom, statesman, restaurant critic, and reporter. Check out his Austin 2023 restaurant guide, 20 best new restaurants in Austin at austin360.com slash dining guide. There's also those Hall of Fame restaurants as well that he writes about. Give him a follow on Instagram at Matthew Odom. That's O-D-A-M. And simply Odom on Twitter. O-D-A-M, to follow along with uh, everything that Matthew is reporting on in the Statesman and Austin 360 and beyond with food and uh, occasional sports opinions as well. Matthew, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the time today. Thanks, Trey. Hook him. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. Thanks to you for hanging out. For more of the show and to connect on social media, visit BooksOnPod.com. Talk to you next time on Books on Pod.